Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Non-Contact Time Season 2, a podcast about all things educational with Kath and Hannah. I'm Kath. I'm Hannah. Welcome to the show. So what's on the agenda today, Hannah? So first of all, welcome to our back to school special. We're going to be talking about things in data to do with how to make a good first impression, what to wear to work and how to keep yourself organised. In the teaching and learning section, we're going to speak to Natalie Cole, who has created the Happy Teacher Planner, and she's going to talk to us all about that. In pupils causing concern, we're going to hear some funny stories. And in any other business, we're going to talk about how you can get involved in our episodes. So today we're going to be talking about things that we need to consider when we're going back to work or starting a new job in a school because we're at that time of year. And um, some of the things that we thought about were things like first impressions, what to wear and organization. So the first thing that I've been looking at is been looking at lots of articles and actually watching lots of YouTube videos on what to wear on your first day at school. And I think the real difference between school and other jobs is usually your first day of school in September is an inset day. So what to wear on your first day is going to be different to what you wear on your second or third day, which is a bit strange. Um, and it, just reading people's tips are really, really funny. One of my favorite articles that I came across gave this list of kind of 10 things that you should think about when you're um, deciding what to wear for a new job. And some of them are really good tips. Things like making sure what you're wearing is comfortable, making sure that your hair is neat and tidy, because I think hair can be a massive distraction, particularly in the classroom. Um, and then things like what, thinking about what you're wearing in terms of your body. We have to think about, say, bending over to talk to a student or if you put your hands in the air, you don't want to kind of be showing your belly or anything like that. It's suggested wearing monochromatics, which I always wear monochromatics to an interview. And then when I turn up to my real job, I wear the brightest, most ridiculous, crazy patterned clothes ever. Um, but I do understand the monochromatic thing. So do you wear something different for inset as you would back to work? Yes, I like to wear kind of really oversized, baggy, 
kind of shirt dresses things and then I'll put leggings underneath because it's comfortable it's not too hot and you can put whatever kind of jackets on with it to make yourself a bit warmer if it's cool in the school but my first day back student facing teaching I usually wear something with a blazer it sets a good first impression it says to the students I want to appear professional and I want the students to feel that I am setting those high expectations of myself so that they will set those high expectations of them I also make sure that I've got shoes with a little bit of a heel in I like to wear heels because I feel it elevates you a little bit, especially when you're working in secondary and you are probably shorter than the, than the year 11 sometimes. What kind of things do you wear for your student facing days? Well, I always wear dresses because I find them really comfortable and they tend to be kind of stretchy dresses that have a really nice cut because it means I can cover lots of my body, which makes me feel a lot more comfortable. So I tend to wear longer sleeves, um, high necks, things like that. Um, my favorite tip that I got from a teacher years ago is that they said, if you got a highly patterned secondhand dress and you're an art teacher, when you get paint on the pattern, no one actually sees the paint. So all of my dresses have like crazy patterns on them, but it's actually to be really functional because it means if I do spill something on it, you can't really see it. And they tend to be secondhand um, because I think it's very good for the environment. Um, also, you can buy really cheap workwear from places like Oxfam. You just have to type in or use the filter, brand new with tags, and um, then it's really affordable. And I've gotten some really gorgeous kind of high-end dresses that I've only got for like 12 pounds from Oxfam, which means also if I get paint on them, it's not the end of the world. So that's the kind of thing I wear, but I would wear that dress or those type of dresses on the non-uniform day or on the first day back as well. I guess for men, the big question is tie or no tie? I think that if you're in a school where students wear ties, I'd like to set those expectations for the students. But I think a lot of schools are very clear in their uniform policy for staff because we do have those in our contracts. So it's important that um, you read through them and kind of find out what what it says so that you're meeting that school's expectations in terms of what they expect from their staff. I do find when they say business wear, I find that really difficult because for me, my subject's so practical. I'm carrying things around. It's quite a dirty job. I have to do a lot of cleaning. I can't really clean in a blazer. So I tend to have a blazer hanging on the back of my chair and I'll wear it to meetings, but I won't wear it all day. And I probably wouldn't wear it into work either. So um, it depends whether I wear a blazer or not. No, I do the same. I've got an office. So in my office, I've got a different colour blazer for every type of meeting or, or outfit that I've got. And I do the same with shoes. I'll leave it in the office and I wear them when I can. But if I'm doing a lot of moving around of equipment or... I particularly find if you're wearing a blazer and you try and reach to the top of a board while you're, while you're writing on it, it's very kind of restrictive. So I might wear it when mm -hmm. students walk in, but then I'll take it off and then I'll put it on for the next class. Just because, I mean, students are expected to do the same, aren't they? They're expected in our school, they're expected to walk in in their full uniform, in their blazers, and they're expected to ask the teacher if they want to take that blazer off. So I think if we show the same expectations and the high standards the students will automatically follow without realizing and then those ones that are struggling to follow those expectations we can say look you know it's a basic expectation even teachers are expected and I think that really helps with behavior management as well because you don't get into those conflicts. Mm. 
Um, I just wanted to talk about shoes really quickly. I was given the advice when I first did my teacher training a million years ago in Australia. I had this really great lecturer and one of the first lectures I did as part of my education degree was someone talking about practical shoes. And one of the things that she gave as a tip was to change the heel size of your shoe on a regular basis. So if you normally wear ballet pumps, then maybe wear a high heel at least once a week because changing that heel height can really help your feet in the long term. But I do have shoes of different heights and I invested in lots of insoles. <laughs> so when my shoes get really uncomfortable, um, put lots of insoles in them and make sure that I'm looking after my feet because you will be on your feet a lot. So the other thing we were going to talk about is first impressions, because we all know, we've all heard the saying about first impressions counting and they last forever and those sorts of things. So what sorts of tips would you give Hannah to someone who was trying to make a good first impression in a new school? I've heard lots of people say, don't smile till Christmas. And I think if you, if you treat your students in that way, you're going to find there's going to be a lot of conflict. I've found, I've found that before. If you're quite stern and you're immovable and, you, and the students see you as unfair or miserable, <laughs> then you end up having a lot of conflict. So the things that have worked for me in the past is being welcoming to the students, stand at the door at every lesson and you're saying hello to the students or you're having an excuse to speak to them. Make sure that you're speaking to those students as they come in because it starts to build those relationships from there. Make sure you introduce yourself Sometimes I forget this by the fifth or sixth lesson in, in the week, but you make sure that you introduce yourself and, you know, you tell the students how to spell your name and you're very clear about your high expectations. My personal favourite is to praise all the students who are doing what they should be and that encourages the other students to follow suit. So it might be, oh, look, we've got six people sat down in silence facing me. That's brilliant. So that's, that's one of my favourite things to do. And that sets those relationships off to a good start from the beginning. And a lot of students just really like it. They like the kind teacher. If you think of Matilda and you think of Miss Honey versus Miss Trunchbull, which teacher did they have more respect for and which teacher did they you know, behave better for? I love that analogy of Miss Honey to Miss Trunchbull because I totally agree with you on that. Even things like reminding students that you've taught before or even new students if they're brand new to you, that the cycle of respect actually starts with us. And my cycle of respect always starts by giving students eye contact. So I give them eye contact, show them I have respect. So I expect them to give that back. And once everyone's given me eye contact, I know that they're ready to learn. I think um, all of those things also work with staff. I think that from right from the beginning, you need to be really friendly with people and say hello to people all the time. And I think also just approaching people and asking questions when you don't know, because um, I would rather someone come and ask me lots of questions than sit there and struggle. So if you are new in a situation and you're not sure what's going on, ask lots of questions and try and find out who the best person is to ask those questions from. When I started at the school I'm currently at, the people that I went and spoke to, I actually went out of my way to speak to other teachers that started at the same time as me. And they're actually still my network of friends and colleagues that I go to on a regular basis and talk to. I think it's really important to get out and speak to people because that's what makes a work environment much more easy to manage because teaching can be stressful. There are points of the year when, when it's high stress 
and there's a lot to do. And I think having the right network of people around you makes you feel like you can accomplish anything because you've got support there. Whereas if you were to do it all in isolation by yourself, I find that really difficult to do because I need some cheerleaders. <laughs> so true, cheerleaders. You do need your cheerleaders. You do need those people who are around you going, you can do this. It's all going to be fine or it's all going to be terrible, but we're in it together. <laughs> our final section of our Back to Work special is about organization and talking about some of the things that you can do that are going to make your life easier in September. So I've been reading through a book called How to Survive Your First Year in Teaching by Sue Cowley. And that's a really good one for NQTs particularly. It goes through things you probably haven't thought about. And one of the things that she talks about is filing things away, short term, long term, or the bin, which I really liked, because at the beginning of the year, you're gonna get lots of pieces of paper. You'll get SEN registers, policy documents, all these things that you need throughout the year that you shouldn't throw out, but you need to have them to hand. So it's a good idea to have a place where you have all your long-term storage. Some people have a file or a folder. Then you'll get things that you only need for a little while and the things that you need to deal with as they come up. So having somewhere you can put short-term documents is always a good idea. So it might be something like getting your exam entries that you need to just check and then send back on to someone. And then I really liked that she talked about putting things in the bin because there are some things that you just don't need. And once you've de dealt with them, they need to go into the bin. And if you don't deal with them throughout the year, it just means that in September or even in July, you've got this mountain of paper on your desk. You've got to kind of sort through and go, oh my God, what do I do with all of this? It's also a good idea to have some place in your department or in your office or in your classroom that you can store confidential documents because they need to be disposed of separately to everything else. So just having a place where no one can get to your confidential documents, but you know where they are. And then if you need to dispose of them, you can dispose of them in the correct way. What's some of your organization tips? I heard this tip from someone and it's been really useful to me. So I used to work in a school and they recommended to us to create a teacher folder and in that teacher folder it'd have everything for all classes so it might be your seating plans it might be your intervention lists of what you've already done it might be just a mark sheet that you've written on to do with that class it could be things that you've tried with them that have worked or haven't and it's not like um a, an onerous process it's just every time you may, you maybe have a document to do with that class you slip it in a folder and group it together I found that really useful because when it came to performance management, I could then demonstrate all the intervention that I've put in place, all the things that I've done to help students make progress, the little bits about, you know, some students might not have made progress and there's information in there as to why. There's so many SEND needs, medical needs, um, ability kind of spectrums. It's just, I can't remember it all. So I put it all in a folder and that's really useful. And then when I get observed, I just give the observer that folder and say, this is the history on the class. Um, if you if you want mm. to look at it, you don't have to. Uh, but it's it is just for me, really. And then on top of that, somebody told me that they did this and I thought it was a really nice idea. I also have a little plastic folder full of any type of praise that I've ever been given. So it might be that oh. somebody's sent me an email that says, that talent show was brilliant, I really enjoyed it. And I might print it out and put it in that little folder or... It might be a student who's written me a thank you card to thank me for all the help that I've done 
through throughout their GCSEs. So anything that's positive about the job, because sometimes there are times when I think, am I really making a difference? Am I doing the right thing for these students? And you go back into that folder and remind yourself, actually, you've done a really good job and people do appreciate you and keep it up. So I have a little folder like that just to remind myself I have done some good stuff <laughs> and people do appreciate it. They might not say it all the time, but I found that really helps my kind of well-being and I do like to set those types of things up. The folder that you have that's physical, I actually have a digital folder like that. It has all my stuff on all my classes. But I think um, having a folder, particularly if you're someone that wants to progress in your career, I was given a training session on how to put together a management folder and it was things like showing progression in data, things where I've done enrichment that have been really special, like things that are really, that show who I am as a teacher and as a manager. And I have them all in a folder and they actually come, they go from job to job to job with me. And I think it's a really good resource to have because if you stay in your school, it's great because you can use it for your performance management. But if you decide that you want to move on to another school or you want to move into a role that's higher than what you're at, having that evidence is great to have in an interview. In Teaching and Learning this week, we're talking to Natalie Cole. She has designed this amazing planner for teachers. I know as someone who desperately needs a good planner that this is a great resource to have. Um, she not only talks about her planner, but she also talks a little bit about diversity and what education is like at the moment. So have a listen. In five words, describe teaching to you. Teaching is yeah something that's always different. I think it's a job that even though people say, oh, you know, you can do what was this? What's the saying that they say? Um, those who can't teach, I think that's a load of bull. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, I think it's a uh, it's a hard skill to be able to teach. I don't think everyone can do, and I don't think we, as we know, get enough credit for for that. Um, and I think you've got to have resilience within teaching and um, just being compassionate and ca you know caring. Sorry, that wasn't five words, but <laughs> we'll let you cheat. It's fine. It's okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's a good answer. It's fine. What's the best type of student to teach? Ooh. See, you would say the student who is, you know, really positive and really determined and passionate about their learning. But actually, I kind of prefer the ones that are a little bit more challenging at times, to be fair, because I feel like when you get them, the progress that they make is you can see it more in that sense and so I wouldn't say yeah the kind of stereotypical good student I think for me I like a bit more of a challenge in regards to student where you know at first they may dislike something or dislike you or whatever it is but when you're able to connect with them and get through to them and seeing the change in them in regards to their learning or pastorally or something like that I think that for me is the type of student that I like because say you can see their progress and that you don't want to take credit for it, but you hope that you're, you've been part of that progress, whether it is a case of academically or personally for them. I totally relate. We're, I think we're both like that. So what's your classroom pet peeve? I think it's just lack of respect, generally. Respect is something that's really big for me. And it, whether it's them respecting me or respecting other classmates or something like that, I don't like when other students or other people try to make other people feel small or silly in the class. I think... You know, for some students, it is quite hard for them to say something out loud to the rest of the, the class. And then for someone to laugh or mock them or something, I just, I, that's my pet peeve. From the beginning, from day one, as soon as I 
I give my, you know, introduce myself and my, what I expect, respect is always at the top because if they don't respect you or you don't respect them, then they're learning already, there's the barrier to learning already. It's interesting you say about the small things, it's those little things too, like making fun of someone saying something. Sometimes it's so unnecessary because everyone knows what they're talking about. So why do we have to make fun of them? Exactly. And I think it's, yeah, and it's just to make themselves feel or look better. And I think, you know, it's not in that kind of environment, that one thing that they could do could actually stop that person from talking in the lesson again. And I think it's, it seems small, but to that person, it could be something really big. And I think, yeah, I don't ever want a sharp child to feel uncomfortable in my class because of a way someone else made them feel in that sense. What do you do to look after your own mental health or to unwind at the end of a difficult day? Nap. <laughs> I love a nap. Or I, I, even if it's 20 minutes, half an hour, just to kind of like recharge before I may get up and then do some work again or something. I think for me, I love a nap. And I've been reading books, uh, I've been reading like while we sleep and like uh, studies and stuff around sleep and the importance of napping. So now I makes me feel even better about napping because, you know, the scientists say it is something that is good. So, you know, <laughs> I definitely, uh, yeah, would suggest a nap. So that's one way for me that I look after well-being and just switch off when, like, I used to suffer from anxiety in my previous school when I was working in the UK. And I just said to myself, I'm never, ever going to feel like that again because I, I feel like I'm quite a strong person generally and just to feel and to get to that stage it was kind of like whoa uh, what's happened so for me just knowing when to say no and just to stop working and think enough today it, you know I can do it tomorrow if need be days are my things just learning to say enough and napping. <laughs> do you think that there's something that we're missing in England that other countries are doing to support that well-being and the work-life balance that teachers get across the world yeah because it's weird because when you step out of it and then you hear your friends from home saying how stressed they are it's it's weird because obviously when you're in it you can't see anything else you can't see anything different but then when you're able to step out you're like whoa was i working at that level like every all day every day um and i think it allowed me to step back and realize that actually that's not it's not healthy and it's not okay and I and it's I get it though because in the UK schools there is that extra pressure I feel to and that's not saying you do get pressure in international schools but there's just a a different type of pressure I feel like in UK schools and I do think they can learn from especially in the Netherlands they have a big thing about work-life balance and so a lot of Dutch people will work like eight or four and then they go home to their families and that's it they don't you know there's no work and so they see work-life balance as a very key thing within their life and then and I see that within the country and within our school. Even my head's like, don't bring your work home, you leave it at school. And you know, that's weird because when I was working in London, it was kind of a, if you even left early, you'd be kind of getting looks of like, <laughs> yeah, this is a little bit early. But you just forgot that I was, I've been here from Monday to Thursday, really late till 7.30, being the last car in the car park. But the one day you leave early, someone's noticing and you feel that judgment already. And you know, and I think it just depends on the school rather than it, the international life. I think maybe there are schools in the UK that do value that idea of well-being, but you know that there's the pressure from some schools. What's one thing you would like to see changed about education? It'd be more diverse, definitely. Um, so obviously, with everything that's been happening in the last few months, I've always tried to add diversity within my lessons, regardless anyway. Um, especially say when I was working in Hackney, because a lot of the kids were like, Miss, all we're going to learn about is dead white men. And I had to say, 
um, yeah. yeah, yeah, unfortunately, um, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it, what can you say to that to them? So, especially when it came to kind of Key 3 and stuff like that, I've uh, always tried to add more diverse texts or um, extracts and things when I, I can. So, yeah, I spent, obviously the last couple of uh, months and what's been going on with Black Lives Matter and stuff, I think that's something I definitely would like to see more of. And not just about, you know, for black people, but in all cultures and LGBT and, and women. And I just think that it is, as the kids said, all kind of white dead men and so I think it is a case of our world doesn't reflect that anymore and I think our curriculum should reflect the different type of kids that we have and it is sad and I, I kind of felt like I didn't have that many kind of black teachers when I was in school and I think okay well, what would the difference have been if I did uh, or what if I, I, I learned about texts about other black uh, with black characters in it or written by black authors how would that have changed my perception because I didn't really read any kind of black writers until I was in my 20s. And, you know, that's quite sad that I have never kind of been able to connect with someone who looked like me until I got to my 20s. So imagine if that we could do that at, G at Key Stage 3 and Key Stage 4. I think it's so important for them to be able to see that, see themselves within, within text and not just them being oppressed, basically, because obviously they learn about slavery and they learn about civil rights movement, but that's about it. And I think we have to be just looking at characters who are just living normal day lives like other characters in texts as well, you know? So I think that's something I definitely would like to see more of. It was definitely quite disappointing to hear the government said they're not gonna change anything about the curriculum and stuff because, you know, it just, it's, they're not really reflecting what people want in that sense. And they're just holding on to this idea of Britishness. And I think what, makes you British has changed and I think in the sense of there's you know I'm British even though I'm black I was born here and I think but my identity in that sense isn't then reflected in a in the curriculum so I think especially in this day and age as well with social media and everything else with these young people I think their sense of identity is also harder to manage in that sense and so actually if they're not seeing that at school in the place that they are most of the time day in day out you know, where are they learning about this sense of being able to feel fulfilled in this, in who they are? Um, so yeah, I think that's something I'd like to see more of. What could I do differently to support the diversity in my classroom? I think it's the main thing is, first of all, being open to conversations about it. I think that's the main thing to start with. I think there's still reluctance for, for people to talk about it. Um, mm. I think until you're able to have those conversations, nothing can be changed or done. Um, and yeah, it's uncomfortable. And yeah, I think people, some of my friends have said, I don't really know, I don't want to say something wrong. And I don't, you know, I don't, and I, of course that's a fear I think people have, but it's better to, to try than to not try at all, I think. Um, and so that would be the first, and having these conversations with the kids, because when everything was happening, I, I taught a few lessons. I did um, Banksy's artwork um, that he did for it and his statement. So uh, one of the art teachers, out of my school, she analysed the artwork with the students and then I analysed uh, Banksy's statement with them in English. And so, you know, doing cross-curricular links as well, which was great. Um, and so, but just the, the, the things that the kids were saying, they're actually really deep. And you know, I think we don't give <laughs> yeah. them enough credit for actually how well, I think they can handle it better than adults, to be fair, in the way that they've been able to talk about it and ask questions. And because it is about, you know, when I lived in Bahrain, 
I didn't know much about Muslim culture. And it was all learning for me. And it was, you know, when I didn't know something, I would ask my Muslim friends, like, I would ask them questions because that's the only way I'm going to learn about it. I think that's what's needed in that sense of just being open to have that conversation to begin with. My school, I'm doing an inset uh, at my school the first week back because we're looking at how we're going to diversify the curriculum and stuff across the whole, all our subjects in that sense. And so that would be nice to see more schools actively doing that and it's not about changing your curriculum you know because we all know how much work (laughs) goes into that but it's looking at there's so many avenues or things that are linked to other cultures anyway and I think that's it's not about yeah rewriting it but it's about finding out exactly researching a bit deeper to find out actually what connections can we make to these different cultures and, and things like that. I saw on your Twitter that it's linked to educated minds is that something to do with the planner? Yeah, so I started educating minds first. So I started this when I was in Hackney, actually. And my kids found it quite hard to connect with the things that are already online around English revision and stuff like that. Again, I think a lot of it was they just found it kind of boring and they didn't connect with it. And so, again, as I said, I taught quite a lot of diverse students. And so they never, they just didn't feel they connected to certain educators who are on YouTube and things like that. And so that was kind of, I started creating videos for them to help with revision to begin with. And then I thought, actually, rather than it just being for them, why do I just not make it uh, for the world in that sense? (laughs) So that's when I started just making revision videos and stuff for students. And then I started to bring in the kind of well-being aspect as well. I think obviously the things I was going through, I thought, actually, with students, how can they do really well in school if their well-being isn't great? So I think, you know, they both go so hand in hand. Then, so I started to try to make well-being videos as well, giving tips and advice, as well as revision videos for students. Um, so that's where Educating Minds kind of came from. And I want to see them, to, the main reason for them to see someone that looked like them on screen. It was a case of, you know, you don't really see black educators ever in that sense. And so actually I want them to see that they can, you know, people like them or people who look like them can do these things too. Um, and so that was a big reason that I did it and yeah so then it went from there and then I was just sitting at home one day and I was just like oh I fancy making a planner because I was I looked at the planner I had and I always stopped using it around like Christmas because I just ended up just stopped using it and then I was just like you know what like why don't I just make one myself that I actually would want to use in that sense and actually isn't just plain gaps because usually it's quite a you know standard template of the lessons and day and everything else but actually I wanted something that I could I was going to continue using and actually did help things like well-being or had a focus on well-being um and so that's when the happy teacher planner came about so it's kind of like an add-on to educating minds of what I'm doing but I've kind of gone more of a teacher route this year and trying to think about having more CPD CPD videos and more kind of teacher related resources as well I don't just want to be for students or educating minds to be something that represents teachers and students as well in that sense because I've I've seen that on your website so you've got like a teacher section that's got loads of information and then a student section which is really useful which is loads of revision stuff what makes that happy teacher planner different to kind of normal planners I know you've said you've got kind of extra boxes in there but what kind of other stuff do you put in well the teacher planner has um you know your main things like your timetable and the daily to-do list and things like that but what it's got in the front of it is um kind of reflection so you are looking at your not only your professional goals but also your personal goals and actually think about what what do I do or what can I do to achieve that 
Um, I've also added things about, um, you know, what things get us down about teaching and how can I actually change my mindset in order to make it better. So I've got things like that to make the teacher reflect generally. So something they can refer back to over the course of the year, um, which I don't think happens usually with other planners in that sense. When you have the weekly reflection, uh, it actually says like, how have you reached further to your goals? And so actually it's then referring back to the beginning of the book and thinking, what is it that I said that I want to do this year? And am I doing these things in order to put that in place? So I think, you know, it is a lot more about actually spending the time to reflect on your practice uh, rather than just it being a standard day-to-day plan your lessons or, you know, track your lessons type of planner. Because I had uh, other plans in the past that were focused on well-being and I thought, actually, how can I merge something that's looking at well-being and teaching in one? Because uh, we are very stressed out people, <laughs> you know, teaching is a stressful job. And so actually I wanted something that, yeah, reflected that in a sense of, yeah, our well-being as well as our job in that sense. Um, so, yeah. I think that's what makes it a little bit different to other planners in the focus on our, on the well-being, which I haven't seen as much of in regards to teacher planners and things like that. Yeah, it tends to be quite factual. Like you said, it's like a standard layout. Whereas mm. I, I like the idea of having all the little quotes and the reminders and the things that lift you up at the end of a day, because I don't know about you guys, but I teach in a building by myself (laughs) Um, I'm the only teacher of my subject I don't see any adults all day unless I go and seek them out so to have something to remind me to breathe or to think or to make me challenge myself is something that would be really useful to me because there's nobody there to do that (laughs) for me on a day to day yeah and I always found that like I was going home thinking negatively all the time you know and it's a case of unless you actually stop and try to think of something positive that day, you just end up going to bed and wake up next day still feeling negative about that thing that happened at the beginning of the day. You know, and I think it's, unfortunately, we do have staff members within school and we do meet, then there's also ends up being quite negative conversations sometimes in schools where they'll start moaning about something that's happened in their day. And then actually you never really talk about anything positive within your job. And I think, Yes, our jobs are hard, but there are many positive moments, whether it's, you know, a kid's had that, most, you know, uh, light bulb moment in your lesson or a colleague says something nice or, you know, we do have moments, but we always, it gets overshadowed by the bad moments um, or stressful moments that we don't recognise that. And so I think that's another reason why I wanted to do it, because I, I had a journal where I would write down one thing a day that made me happy. So it's like a five year journal to so just one line, one sentence of something that made you happy. And I did that for about three years and it's just nice to even look back on previous years go oh I remember that memory and you know just having those times where you can just look back and think actually it's not that bad in that sense um, there are moments of greatness in that sense or moments of happiness and so I wanted that the happy teacher plan to reflect on that as well um, because yeah we do get really bogged down with all the negatives so does that link to the happy teacher box then? Is that a similar thing? Yeah, because I started that in quarantine. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I wanted, I thought, especially with everything going on with pandemics and everything else, um, I thought what would be a nice treat for teachers going back to school? Um, and that's why I kind of did like a little survey and asked teachers what would they want in a wellbeing box. And so, yeah, so the teacher box has like, um, CPD has uh, uh, Stop Talking About Wellbeing by Jack Howard in there um so i wanted uh, a cpd book to reflect that um and then i've 
I tried to make it as eco-friendly as possible. So we have like um, a beeswax candle um, and then there's like bath salts and um, postcards as well that I've made. So teacher appreciation postcards. And yeah, I just wanted something that made like a box you can get. It's nice to get something in the posts and just to be something to open up and just, I thought, okay, you can start off with having a bath with your bath salts and then you can come out of the bath and then you can use your mug, that keep cup mug, and read your book and put on your candles. I tried to think about like the proper format of like, oh, how could you spend your evening and uh, looking after your well-being? So um, yeah, that's kind of where the idea for the box came from. So yeah, this is my first go. So I'm going to do it for the summer and then probably do one again for Christmas, possibly. Um, I thought that would be quite a nice uh, treat for Christmas, especially because we don't know what's going to happen by Christmas. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> How can people purchase your planner? Well, um, you can go to educatedminds.co.uk um, and there's a section on there for the Happy Teacher Planner and the Happy Teacher Box. Um, so you can just yeah, go to the website and find it there. Fab. We've talked a lot about standardised testing and stuff like that and I saw your review of Fall In Line, the book. Oh yeah, that's my I've, friend's book. <laughs> I've never read it. I've never heard of it before. But the, the title that you put something was like corruption in of the education system. I was like, oh, I think I need to get this. <laughs> yeah, she wrote it about two years ago. So if you on my YouTube channel, it's the mixed race girl with curly hair. Um, she's uh, she wrote the book. And so it does look at the main character. So it's the idea that you, you take a test and they give you an option of what you're going to do for your career, basically. And there's no kind of choice of what you do. And so it's kind of looking at um, Joanna, the main character, and trying to take down the kind of um, education minister in that sense and his corruption. Wouldn't that be great if kids did that though? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and yeah, and she's got, it. the main character is a, um, a mixed race girl. And so again, she wanted to highlight characters of colour in within her writing. Um, and so that was nice to see. But yeah, it's also relevant because she, she wrote it uh, yeah, a few years ago, but I feel like is definitely very relevant today isn't it becoming more and more relevant every time <laughs> every briefing so um your interview is going to be in our back to work special natalie okay i wanted to know what's your back to work ritual when you return to work after the summer holidays well i'm going back to the netherlands on the 20th of august and so those last two weeks i'm doing no work at all i've done it in the past where i work all summer and i go back to work and i'm still tired and then yeah then you've got a, a hard term because <laughs> up to the uh, october half term and so that's one thing I always make sure that I do. I listen to my Calm, calm app a lot. So that's something, I, I'm, and I meditate quite a bit. Um, so I meditate and I listen to like my Calm stories to go to sleep. So that's another thing I like to do, especially towards starting school, where it's half terms or I always just think too much that night. And then I can't sleep that night because I'm, you know, anticipating everything for the next day. I always try to yeah, either meditate or listen to like a Calm story or something before I go to sleep, just to kind of get my head in the right space it, it, and you've got the headspace app actually if you like meditation but i do think it's important that you just switch off you've got to look after yourself as i say if you don't look after your your mental well-being or your physical well-being then you're not good for the children in that sense because you're not at your 100 percent. and so even though people complain about how much holiday we get it's needed and i think it's, it's important that we actually do have time where we're doing nothing in that sense and just enjoying your family and friends and Netflix. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on Non-Contact Time. It seems that you're trying to be the change you want to see in the world, which I think is amazing. 
So thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. Oh, you're so welcome. It's been a lovely chat. In Pupils Causing Concern this week, we're going to talk a little bit about faux pas. So Hannah, you've got a great faux pas for us. Yes, uh, I got sent this. And this particular teacher was starting their first day at school. They had just started started as an NQT. And they went to the toilets at break time and walked out of the toilets, carried on down the corridor, and the deputy head stopped them and said, you probably want to check that you've not tucked your skirt into your knickers before you walk out of the toilets. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I think we've all been, we've all done something embarrassing like that. But when it's at school, it just makes you turn all different shades of red because you just think, oh gosh, I don't want the students to see this. <laughs> so I learned the importance of having spare clothing at school. Um, I think it's really important to sometimes have spare shoes or spare clothes. I was trying to decant some ink because ink is quite expensive and um, I use it with a lot of key stage three. So they're not always particularly careful with it. So they knock it over a lot and we lose a lot of ink. So I tend to, at the end of the lesson, pour it back in the bottle. And I had one day where my technician wasn't around and I forgot to put my apron on. So I thought, I'm just going to pour all this ink in. And someone came in and they gave me a fright as I was doing it. And I kind of knocked ink and it exploded all over down the front of my boots, which meant that I then had to try and wash my dress in a sink, which isn't particularly easy trying to get a skirt into a sink, try and rinse it off. And I had to walk around for the rest of the day kind of mostly damp (laughs) from where I actually washed the ink out of my clothing. And I did think, oh my gosh, why don't don't I have a spare piece of clothing here today? Um, And I also tend to have spare shoes because I have in the lovely Manchester weather, um, I catch public transport to school or walk to school. And I have had times where you've been caught in that kind of downpour that's Honestly, it feels like the whole heavens have erupted. And my favourite is when I've been wearing a coat. When I take my coat off, everything from the bottom of the coat down is absolutely sopping wet, including my shoes. And I once showed up to work and my boots were actually filled with water. So I was quite grateful on that day. (laughs) I had a spare pair of shoes under my desk. Otherwise, I would have been like squelching around school for the whole day going... (laughs) I've got one here that says um, we have to be careful what we say in text messages these days one uh, one time I'd just finished my first day at work and was trying to text my boyfriend the message said something about I'm heading home now and it concluded with love you apparently I'd sent it to my head teacher by accident there's one here, it's, um, I was trying to make a good impression on my first day, but needed to excuse myself for the bathroom from a meeting. Unfortunately, the door jammed as the lock was faulty and I couldn't get out. About an hour later, the boss himself came looking to see where I was and I had to be rescued by some workmen, which took another hour to get the door open. Oh, no. If you've got any funny stories for our pupils causing concern section, please send them to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or just email us. And our handle is at noncontacttime or noncontacttime at gmail.com.
in any other business, we're going to let you know what's happening in upcoming episodes. So next week, we're going to hear from an ex-PGCE student who did her qualification last academic year, and she's starting her NQT year in September. In week three, we're going to speak to Dr. Susan Davies and Dr. Rhiannon Packer, and they're going to explain to us how to differentiate for shy children and how you can make a real difference in the classroom. In week four, we're going to speak to Emily Dixon, who has recently left teaching, and she's going to talk about all her experiences. In week five, we're going to speak to David Weston from the Teacher Development Trust, and he's going to let us know about all the things that they offer schools and all the CPD that they offer. In week six, we're going to speak to Ellie Dix who founded The Dark Imp which is a company creating board games and she started her journey creating games for the classroom and they're a great way to get students engaged in learning. So that's what's coming up in the next six weeks on non-contact time. If you want access to extra bonus content have a look at our Patreon it's at non-contact time. Thanks for listening to our first Back to Work special of season two. If you want to get in contact with us, don't forget that we're on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And you can also email us noncontacttime at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.